Uh, take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. Mark is part of the daily Bible reading, and I hope that since we're doing a lot of social distancing, uh, we have a lot of time to open God's Word and read it and look at it and meditate on it. And uh, I want to uh, do that this morning with the Gospel of Mark with a theme that runs straight through Mark from chapter 1 all the way to 16. This is the shortest of the Gospels. So if you're distracted by a lot of things and you just find it difficult to focus on spiritual things because you're very concerned about what's happening around you from a physical perspective, this is a good book to look at because it combines two very important themes together. And so, Lord, we pray that as we look at your word together that you'd guide our thoughts. Lord, help us to honor you. Help us to, help us to focus on our relationship with you and what it means to us in this time, in this very difficult time that we're going through. Jesus, in your precious name we pray. Amen. We read in Mark chapter 11 these words, Jerusalem is filled with people. People have come from all over the Roman Empire to celebrate the Passover. And the Bible tells us that the Sunday before the Resurrection Sunday, uh, the people gathered together from the city of Jerusalem, coming out of the city and gathered together where Jesus was, and, and they had the biggest parade ever. And the Bible says that, and many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road, then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, from Mark chapter 11, verse 9 and 10, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And you know that the people are thinking about God bringing back the throne of David through the Messiah. They're excited. They're waiting for the Lord to just go into the city of Jerusalem and to take over. But it doesn't happen. A bit of misunderstanding on their part, perhaps, as to when the physical kingdom was going to be established. But I want to pick up on the theme of the kingdom of our father David. Because every other time it is used in the book of Mark in relationship to God's kingdom, that's what it's called, the kingdom of God. And so we're going to go back to Mark chapter 1. I'm just going to briefly go through some passages of Scripture that you will be looking at if you've not already started to read in our daily Bible reading. Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, as Mark begins this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. He's the Messiah. And then I want you to notice the, the first general reference to the kingdom of God in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Jesus begins his Galilean ministry, and it says that Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the good news. 
he links the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with the kingdom of God. And so I have a question for you this morning that I want you to think about through the rest of this message this morning, and that is this, where are you in relationship to the kingdom of God? Now, it's okay to be a little frivolous at this point in our answers, because I'm sure that it represents the way a lot of people think about that. Some are clueless. What do you mean, my relationship to the kingdom of God? Some may say, well, I visit it from time to time. In fact, I have seasoned pass. Some may say, I don't know where it is. Some may say, I live there. It is my safe place. Some may say, I'm a citizen of the kingdom. I'm a member and I'm an active participant in God's kingdom. And you may have several other answers that you may want to express in relationship to that question. But the important thing that I hope we'll conclude with is that in the book of Mark, Jesus is inviting everyone into his kingdom. Why? He's doing it because it's the only safe place to be while we are in this world. And number two, it's the only safe place to be in the next world to come. And so, while he links the gospel with the kingdom of God in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15... He's going to share some information with us that will allow you to make a decision as to where you are in the kingdom of God. Turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Jesus is teaching by the Sea of Galilee. There's a great multitude gathered and he gives, he, he shares some parables. If I were to give a title to this particular passage in the Bible I would say for our purposes today, this is all about parables, the growing seed, and the mustard seed. And so Jesus gives the parable of the sower. A sower goes out to sow seed. And some of it falls among the hardy, hard, hard parts of the garden, the pathway, some among the rocks, uh, the rocky soil that's shallow, some among the thorns that uh, hedge in the garden and and some of it falls upon good ground. And, and when Jesus gives this parable, he's asking you and I to define where we are, to identify with one of those types of soil. Our heart represents one of them. But the disciples didn't understand that particular parable, and they come to Jesus and say, Lord, we don't understand that parable. And so in verse 11 of Matthew chapter 4, Jesus said to them, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. To you it has been given to know the secrets, the hidden truths of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside the kingdom, all things come in parables. And then Jesus gives us these words. Taken from the Old Testament, seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand. There are many people who are going to listen to 
Jesus and they're not going to understand what he says. They may try to hear him, but they're not going to get it. And Jesus says, that's the way it is. Because if they would understand what I'm saying, if they would hear what I'm saying, they would what? Turn from their sins and be forgiven. I don't know about you, but when I, when I was even a kid, I would read this passage of Scripture and I would say, boy, I don't want to be in that crowd that is clueless. I don't want to be in that crowd that doesn't understand, that doesn't get it. I want to be among those who turn from their sin and are forgiven. Where are you? The next passage of Scripture that I want to look at is in chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. In chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. As you read through the book of Mark, you're going to come across these references to the kingdom of God, and hopefully you're going to ask yourself the question, where do I stand in relationship to what Jesus is saying? And the Bible tells us that Jesus said in chapter 9, verse 1, Assuredly, I say to you that there will be some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power took disciples up on top of what we call the Mount of Transfiguration, where he was transfigured before them. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up to a high mountain apart from themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Elijah appeared. Moses appeared. The implications of this passage of Scripture are incredible. But so that we don't get bogged down in the details, let's just remember what the Bible says about this experience that God gave to these disciples, some of those who were standing there, and those who would see the kingdom of God in power. The kingdom of God comes in power. The next passage of Scripture is in chapter 9, verse 47. I hate to refer to this passage of Scripture because this kind of scared me as a kid. And I thought, well, I'll eliminate it. It's one of the kingdom of God passages, but maybe for our purposes I won't share it this morning. But in the beginning of this context, when the disciples asked the Lord, who is the greatest in the kingdom of God, what does the Bible say? Jesus took a little child and set him in the midst. And he tends to stay on this subject of little children, bringing up the subject again in verse 42 where he says, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the sea. Those are tough words from Jesus. But even tougher is what Jesus says in verse 46 and 47. Jesus talks about eternity. Eternity with him in the kingdom of God or eternity apart from him in hell. And this is a pretty, pretty desperate situation that all of us should see when Jesus says, 
If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Now, obviously, Jesus is making an important point here that this decision that you and I make in relationship to the kingdom of God has eternal consequences. And we're either going to be on the side of those who offend those who are in the kingdom, we are little children in comparison, or we are going to be like the little child who enters the kingdom. In verses 13, 14, 15, and 16, then they brought little children to him, chapter 10, they brought little children to him that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he greatly displeased and said to them, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive my kingdom, the kingdom of God as a little child, will by no means enter it. So where do you stand in relationship to this passage of Scripture? Are you struggling in your pride and your great knowledge to try to figure out how this applies to you, or will you respond to the gospel of Christ with simple faith? The next passage of Scripture is in chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. When someone comes to Jesus and says, What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? In chapter 17, the man eventually goes away because he's stuck on this world. He's stuck on his riches. According to the parable of the sower, he's stuck on the cares of this life. He is shackled by his desire for other things and the deceitfulness of riches. And so Jesus turns to his disciples in verse 23 and says, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is not saying it doesn't happen. It happens all the time. But it's hard if you're shackled by your desire for the treasures of this life. Where do you stand in relationship to the kingdom of God in this area? And then we have the passage of Scripture of Palm Sunday in chapter 11, where there's those crowds of people, and they're coming, and they're singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father, David. The Messiah is coming. Now, this is a reference to the physical reign of Christ's coming, but, but this describes a fickle crowd, a fickle crowd that was anticipating it, but it didn't work out the way they wanted it to work out. They didn't understand that Jesus must first come and suffer and die so that his blood could free us from the penalty of sin by his own death on the cross. And a week later, this fickle crowd that shouts, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, is, is discouraged, is disenchanted and cries, crucify him. Where do you stand in relationship to the kingdom of God in this particular passage of Scripture? And then go to chapter 12, 
verses 33 and 34. Jesus is in the temple the last week of his ministry. He asks a very important question about the commandments. Or answers one, because they ask him, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says the first of all the commandments is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And one of the scribes said to him in verse 32, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God and there is no other but he. And then this is what he says. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the soul and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Impressive. Impressive. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You're close. Where do you stand in relationship to the kingdom of God? Are you this close? Are you going to drop the ball at the end? Are you going to keep running the race? Are you going to be looking at God's word until you finally discover the truth that Jesus can make you a part of his kingdom through your personal faith in him? Don't be this close and miss it. Don't give up now. And then finally, two other quick passages in chapter 14. In chapter 14, verses 22, 23, 24, and 25, when Jesus is sitting down with his disciples and he is observing, he has instituted the Lord's Supper. He says to his disciples, Take, eat, this is my body, in verse 22. In 24, this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many. And then notice what he says in verse 25. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is a tough passage of Scripture for those of us who were anticipating the Lord's Supper tonight and the love feast that's a part of that. Jesus is going to resume the Lord's Supper. There's going to be a marriage feast of the Lamb. There's going to be a time when all of us who know the Lord through all of the centuries are going to be sitting around a table and enjoying the Lord's presence in the best fellowship you and I will ever experience. And Jesus will be there to drink the vine, and eat the bread with us in the kingdom of God, his physical kingdom. Where are you in relationship to that? Are you anticipating it? Do you believe it? And then the final passage of Scripture in Mark that deals with the kingdom of God is in Mark chapter 15, verse 42 and 43. Jesus has been crucified. He's going to resurrect three days later. And Jesus is crucified, and after Jesus was crucified, and he's there on the cross, the Bible says in verse 42 that now when evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, during this Passover week, 
Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God coming and taking courage, went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. He and another leader, well known to us by the name of Nicodemus, both came and took Jesus off the cross and put him in the tomb. But there's Joseph of Arimathea. We don't hear about him during the ministry of Jesus. Nicodemus we hear about because he comes to the Lord, but we don't hear much about him after that. A couple of references. But they're waiting for the kingdom of God. Are you waiting for the kingdom of God? Are you fully participating in the kingdom of God? Are you, as a little child, part of the kingdom of God? Are you clueless about it and wondering where it is or unconcerned that it's even a priority for all of us in our lives. I don't know what your circumstances are, but Jesus has given to us about 10 different opportunities to identify with the persons in the book of Matthew, uh, Mark. And as you read it, you need to identify yourself somewhere. But I go full circle. I come full circle on this. I come clear back to Mark chapter 1. Let's conclude with this. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, where the Bible says, after Mark begins by saying, this is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let's come full circle where Jesus came to Galilee in verse 14, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Repent and believe the gospel. Father in heaven, we pray that you would remind us that you so love this world that you gave your only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And as we sing our final song this morning, we pray in your precious name that you would grip our hearts with the truth and that those of us who need to respond in faith can see our way to the cross and understand that, Jesus, you paid the penalty for sin. I want it to be personally applied to me. I want to be free and forgiven through your death. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all sing together our final closing song of invitation. Only trust him. And will you come to the Lord as we sing. soul by sin oppressed there's mercy with the Lord and he will surely give you rest by trusting in his word only trust him only trust him only trust him now he will save you, He will save you, He will save you now.
let's close with a simple benediction that's given to us in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 13. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And all God's people said, Amen, and praise the Lord.